brand new show for you. Brand new show. I know you want the first mover pod. I get it. I get it. We'll be talking DFS on multiple shows throughout the week on Roto Underworld Radio. But for today, this show is new. These are my observations from yesterday. And my goal is to have this out by noon on Mondays. I, I missed the goal this week. You know, we're, we're keep expectations in check, especially post week one. We may not post our stats on Player Profiler on each player for you know, another day or two. Might be Wednesday before those the final advanced stats get posted for week one. It takes time to get this engine cranking efficiently at the beginning of the season. We have a lot to a lot of a lot of knobs to turn, right? A lot of knobs to turn. And this is a brand new show. This is a brand new show. I'm excited. It's the top ten takeaways. That's, that's the name of the show, the top 10 takeaways. So if we need an acronym, T and then one, one zero is 10. So T one T S. What is that? Oh, oh, that's right. This is the tit show. This is the tit show. I'm doing a tit show every Monday. That's what it is. That's what it is. I think that, that, that deserves a sounder. I don't know what for, but just a sounder, just a, just a sounder because, just because tits, man. <laughs> top 10 takeaways off we go off we go this is a quick show this is a quick rapid fire only show with the pod father and the pod father alone number one takeaway this was important this is something that i think once the game started we started to see oh well okay this is how it's going to be and then quickly we moved on and the suddenly touchdowns were being scored and, and, and you lost sight of it but something very important that we should have all observed on Sunday, and this actually started on Thursday, but it continued on Sunday. It was heartening to see the teams playing their starters predominantly for a full snap share, and that was huge, right? We didn't know. We didn't know how this truncated offseason and lack of preseason would impact the amount of strength and conditioning and preparation that players would need to play a full complement of snaps. And as it turns out, most players played their full complement of snaps. We had 10 running backs, at least, getting an 80% opportunity share or more. Great news. Just all great news. Great news for usage. Great news for the NFL in that in the future, maybe we could have fewer preseason games, right? Now the justification for preseason has really melted away now that these players are playing the full complement of snaps in week one. It's like, wait, so why all those preseason games again? So this just paves the way for an 18-game schedule by removing preseason games. And what was even better is that there was less rust. So the, the players' strength and conditioning was at a higher level than most expected. And the execution on offense was at a higher level. Nine to five overs hitting on Sunday. So we had nine overs hit, only five unders. So Las Vegas also, if you looked at the over-unders prior to week one, they were generally low across the board. I was expecting a bunch of games to have a higher total. They didn't. And I think this is why Vegas was assuming that offensive execution rates would be lower. And we didn't see it. We didn't see it again. This is great news, heartened by what we saw just fundamentally on a big picture level on Sunday. Now, that's observation number one. Observation number two was there, there was some rust. You saw rust 
Uh, we saw an increase in the average number of missed and broken tackles per game and hurries. So there's a lot of quarterback hurries. You can see offensive line execution and communication is something that clearly needs more refining. And that would probably have been helped by some preseason action, but didn't have it. And, and you saw a lot of pressure. You saw Brady was constantly under pressure. There was a number of quarterbacks facing a lot of pressure, more than usual, and yet still executing. Right Again, this is all very encouraging, very encouraging. So missed tackles, broken tackles, evaded tackles, that was up in week one. Quarterback hurries up. So I think those are the major rust indicators. That Of course, there wasn't going to be you know, a, a complete lack of rust altogether. We're going to see some rust. I mean, look at this Look at this jersey, the Andre Risen Browns jersey. So expecting more rust than we saw, that was great. Observation number three, rookie running backs were heavily used as we expected, right? Running back does not require significant development, especially the mental side of the game is, is not nearly as important for running backs. You take the ball and you go find space and you maximize the number of yards you can run for. It, you know, the, the run plays that are called are less sophisticated than pass plays generally. And there's just less experience necessary to execute run plays in the NFL than pass plays. And there's a lot less nuance to running the ball in the NFL than there is to playing wide receiver. So it's easier for rookie running backs to get up to speed and to command a significant opportunity share right out of the gate. And what do we see? We see heavy usage from a James Robinson, number one, undrafted free agent James Robinson, Commanding a 90% snap share? Like, what? Right? And all the running back carries, right? He was the only running back in the NFL in week one that posted a 100% carry rate in the backfield. No other running back on Jacksonville took a carry, took a handoff. It was just James Robinson. So he didn't produce fantasy points, but the usage, the usage trends, incredible. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, exceeded an 85% snap share. J.K. Dobbins exceeded an 80% snap share. So these guys were dominating the snaps. And we saw a number of running backs dominate the targets. DeAndre Swift, five targets. Jonathan Taylor, six targets. Now this, this was the number one observation from week one. It was Jonathan Taylor in the passing game. Jonathan, if you told me, that Jonathan Taylor would get six targets in week one. I wouldn't have believed you. I wouldn't have believed you. But that was by far and away my favorite game. I mean, my two favorite individual player observations from week one both happened in this Colts-Jacksonville game and both on the Colts. It was Jonathan Taylor and his six targets, and not only six targets, but also six receptions. So a 100% catch rate. 11.2 yards per reception, 11.2 yards per target. So he was super efficient because if you watch these, these screenplays to Jonathan Taylor, extraordinary. Just breaking tackles. He was a yard away from a touchdown on one and it just accelerating past defenders and trucking defenders. And he's just going to be a problem. Jonathan Taylor is a problem. He is a problem. And it's great to see Jonathan Taylor landing on a team with one of the best screen game quarterbacks of all time. If, if, if Philip Rivers can make Jonathan Taylor into 
one of the highest volume, most efficient running backs in the passing game this year. Not number one, not Austin Eckler like he did last year, but if he can just put Taylor in the top 10 even, right? If he can do what he did for Austin Eckler to Jonathan Taylor, who was not regarded as a strong pass catcher coming out of Wisconsin. If if Phillip Rivers can do that, I'll consider him the best. I'll, the best. To pass Drew Brees as the best screen game quarterback of all time. Because that would be an incredible accomplishment. I mean, it's just, it's ins- it's so great. Talked about Quentin Nelson and how it was such a great landing spot for Jonathan Taylor to land on a team with one of the best run-blocking offensive lines. That was clear and discussed in a constant loop across all sports media, was lesser discussed and should have been discussed more, was landing with Phillip Rivers. Because the activity in the passing game is where the true upside lies. It's why Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, not being used in the passing game and not being out there on third down, is subbing out Edwards-Hilaire on third downs for Darrell Williams, was a concern. Right? I'm not as concerned about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire's getting stuffed the goal line I love goal line carries and goal line touchdowns are largely random just based on the particular uh, defensive calls versus the offensive calls, the defensive line calls versus the offensive line calls, where the creases end up materializing. It's highly randomized. It's just like we're not holding Leonard Fournette's touchdown or uh, red zone conversion rate against him from 2019 we're not holding Clyde Edwards Hilaire's red zone conversion rate against him this year but what is concerning are the lack of targets and what is super encouraging is the Jonathan Taylor target share and the Paris Campbell target share Paris Campbell was the target leader and was the team leader in receiving yards and Paris Campbell right I mean he was the guy the number one target in the later rounds at wide receiver I mean one of those guys that helped unlock the possibilities of robust RB oh Paris Campbell I just do another one right Paris Campbell Paris Campbell breakout alert we talked about there's going to be one of these 2019 receivers, someone from that 2019 wide receiver class is going to break out. Most likely it's Paris Campbell, and you're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. So we saw some impressive running back snap shares and target shares from some key running backs. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, J.K. Dobbins, DeAndre Swift, those five targets. Jonathan Taylor, now he's set up to be a monster. Jonathan Taylor's going to be a monster. We're going to have Jonathan Taylor in plenty of lineups and DFS this coming week, not Antonio Gibson. So Antonio Gibson, only a 25% snap share and only two targets because he's just not ready. And it's Washington. And you saw Antonio Gibson in exactly zero lineups on the DFS lineup genius. It's not just about the players that are in those lineups as it is about the players that are not in those lineups. So you saw Antonio Gibson was chalky last week and it didn't make any fucking sense. Now, many pivoted off of him for Boston Scott and Boston Scott was different in that he was real chalk as opposed to fake chalk so Antonio Gibson was fake chalk last week Boston Scott was real chalk he just got hurt right Antonio Gibson didn't get hurt he just was a rookie who had never operated as a primary back in his entire career playing the sport of football and to expect it this week against one of the most ferocious run defenses in the league was just absurd I I didn't understand the fascination with Antonio Gibson in redraft where his ADP rose up into those early middle rounds and then in DFS he was chalk I didn't understand any of it and so if I if I had to pick two big surprises with the usage at rookie it would be JK Dobbins 
Snapshare was a surprise, and the Jonathan Taylor Target Share was a surprise. Both pleasant surprises, and no surprise with Antonio Gibson, but many others were surprised, right? Others were surprised. We weren't surprised. Now, my fourth observation as it relates to running back target shares are the discouraging target shares for Joe Mixon and Austin Eckler. And I am legitimately worried. I do not want to overreact to single game performances, especially with a guy like Joe Mixon going up against the Chargers. That was a challenging matchup. It's a low scoring game. Mixon's going to have weeks. Trust me. Mixon's going to have weeks. The, 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 what you love to see with Mixon is the usage in the rushing department because we were not sure whether Travion Williams would get run, how much Giovanni Bernard would be involved, but Joe Mixon commanded 95% of the carries from that running back group. It was just 95% Mixon, 5% Bernard. Travion Williams didn't log a touch. So that was good news. So I am encouraged by the Joe Mixon usage, particularly in the rushing department, because he's going to be a monster. Their offensive line is better. Their quarterback play is better. But, 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 but while I'm not worried about Joe Mixon, the ceiling has to come down because it's clear that Joe Burrow is not interested in dumping it off to running backs. Bernard had five targets and Mixon only had two. Ugh, right? It's just not, not great. Now, you could say, oh, he's not, you know, he only th he threw the ball 36 times and seven of those go to running backs. It's not a high rate, but it's not something you need to be super concerned about. With Joe Mixon, I'm concerned about the new quarterback and I'm concerned about the presence of Giovanni Bernard dominating the targets to running backs five to two. I'm concerned about Austin Eckler because it's clear that Tyrod Taylor is not interested in dumping it off at all, like not at all. One target to running backs, one, one, that's it. Zero to Justin Jackson, zero to Josh Kelly. That's a problem. It's a big problem. I don't understand why I thought Tyrod Taylor was a game manager and I assume game managers would be interested in dumping it off to running backs. But I, 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 I this Austin Eckler single target game has to be terrifying. He ha it has to be terrifying. And this was something that was, outlined very clearly in our draft kit that it was a boon for Colts running backs and a concern for Chargers running backs that a quarterback in Phillip Rivers who heavily targets running backs would move to a different team and that there would be consequences to that. And now we're seeing it. Tyrod Taylor targeted running backs this week, only 3% of his throws. Meanwhile, Phillip Rivers targeted running backs on 37%, 37% of his throws went to running backs just this week. And, and this is a trend that we've been seeing for years. Phillip Rivers heavily targeting the running back. So what is great for Jonathan Taylor and perhaps Marlon Mack when he returns and Naheem Hines is going to have a larger role on offense because of this as well. So it's good news for Naheem Hines. It's good news for everybody in that Indianapolis backfield. It's bad news, man. It's bad news for Austin Eckler. And, you know, it's good news for Joshua Kelly that he got, you know, 12 carries to Austin Eckler's 19. So Josh Kelly is more than a breather back. Just another one of these rookie running backs that was more heavily used than we expected. Again, I'm going back to an earlier observation, but just Joshua Kelly getting 
12 carries and being more efficient with those carries and scoring the touchdown, not Austin Eckler, is great for Josh Kelly. And and if you've just followed our cheat sheet, you would have had more Joshua Kelly than you would have had Austin Eckler because we had Aaron Jones, most notably, ranked ahead of Austin Eckler because of this concern. It wasn't a concern with Joshua Kelly. I wasn't concerned about Joshua Kelly. I was concerned about Tyrod Taylor and the frequency with which he would target running backs in the passing game. And But I, I wasn't this worried. This is absolute worst case scenario and then you have Joshua Kelly outperforming expectations in the running game and the squeeze is on with Austin Eckler I am worried and hopefully the 84 rushing yards will be enough to ease concerns if you want to trade him in dynasty Joshua Kelly's coming man Joshua Kelly is coming you know how much I love Joshua Kelly and He's only confirming my biases. I'm biased in favor of Joshua Kelly. We all know that. This is an open secret. And he's just confirming it. Right? Just Joshua Kelly. What a great name. Oh, the rookie running back usage was better than we could have ever expected. Now, there's one other running back who has a new quarterback this year who underperformed his target share expectation. And I don't want to. I just... I feel like a bolt of lightning is going to hit me the moment I say this name, that I am mildly concerned. I mean, again, I'm looking for lightning bolts. I, I hope, please keep me safe, world. Christian McCaffrey. I mean, Christian McCaffrey, only four targets. Only four targets. And the weaponry is enhanced. Now there's Robbie Anderson there. Robbie Anderson was not there last year. Ian Thomas, an upgrade over Greg Olson. Right? You have DJ Moore getting nine targets. He's a stud. We know that. He's an established stud. Robbie Anderson, eight targets. Curtis Samuel, eight targets. Curtis Samuel is going to be a nice little sleeper moving forward. We'll have him in some GPPs, I'm sure. But McCaffrey, only four targets. I mean, the the, the two touchdowns wallpapers over that nicely. But, right? We'll see. We'll see. It, it wouldn't be a concern at all if he was enjoying consistent continuity at the quarterback position. But there is not continuity. It's a new quarterback. Whenever there's a new quarterback, whether it's Burrow, whether it's Tyrod Taylor, whether it's Teddy Bridgewater, it's a concern. It's a concern. It's a mild concern. It's the most mild concern of all the concern that I'll surface today, but I it it's now out there that Jonathan Taylor out-targeted Christian McCaffrey in week one. That's a thing that happened. That's a thing that happened in a game in which the Panthers scored 30 points and the game total was 64. McCaffrey... Four targets. Two less than Jonathan Taylor. I'm just, that's just, these are facts. These are just facts that I am verbalizing with my mouth. (laughs) Right? These are just noises I'm making with my voice box that are facts. They're facts. And another fact is that most rookie wide receivers flamed out this week. Jalen Rager, one catch. Brian Edwards, one catch. Michael Pittman, no show. T. Higgins, no show. Justin Jefferson, out-targeted and out-produced by Ola B.C. Johnson. Brandon Ayuk, inactive. Right, who do we get? We had production from LaVisca Chenault, 11 points. 10 points from CeeDee Lamb. So the, those were the two best rookie performances. Those also happen to be the number one and number two ranked wide receivers on the breakout finder. Oh! Breakout finder alert! Oh! Breakout finder is amazing! <laughs> Good for the breakout finder, man. Wow. Wow. If you had to pick two receivers for the breakout finder, it would have been CD Lamb and LaVisca Chenault. And they capped out at 11 points. Why? Because they're rookies and it's difficult to play the wide receiver position. 
It requires nuance. It requires seasoning. You can't just pick up the playbook and understand the off-tackle mechanics, right? Here's the off-tackle calls. Boom, I'm good, right? Pitch out wide. Okay, drop play. Got it, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. A couple weeks, running back, I can play. Put me in there, coach. I can go execute. Not so with wide receivers. They need rapport with the quarterback. They need to learn a much more complicated playbook and work on the technique that is required to beat NFL corners at the line of scrimmage. It's, it's, it's very difficult. It's a much more difficult. I, I just think that the difference in onboarding a brand new rookie tight end and wide receiver versus a rookie running back, the difference is so wide. It, it's such a, it, The bar is so much higher for wide receivers. That, that That is why I, w- I was very hesitant to go wide receiver late in drafts. I know there are a lot of them more available, and they, they looked attractive on paper, but that's why we kept going back to Paris Campbell and Randall Cobb and, and other late-round wide receivers that were not, in fact, rookies. So there were some other... Uh, one other encouraging note is that Devin Duvernay commanded a target, and that's important. Devin Duvernay was targeted. That means he was in the game. So Devin Duvernay was getting snaps. He was getting targets. And that's huge. That's huge. His role is only going to grow. It was Duvernay. It was not Procise. That that was the rookie that was targeted. Now, not necessarily targeted early in the game, but I was I was heartened by this uh, Devin Duvernay target. Only four four receivers were targeted at all. Right, Brown with six targets, Snead with four, Miles Boink with four, and Duvernay with one. So the, the it was fifteen total targets to wide receivers. And Duvernay got one of those. And, and to me, that was encouraging because I wasn't sure at what point they would bring Duvernay online. So they're bringing him online in week one. That's that's a bonus. That's a real bonus because I I, I was drafting Duvernay and I, I liked him landing in this situation in Dynasty in particular. So I know a lot of you have Duvernay in Dynasty and great news. Great news. Now, also, the the runway is clear. For Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton is a game-time decision, and if Cortland Sutton sits, Jerry Judy would operate in an every-down role, could be the primary option for Drew Locke if it's not you know, a Noah Fant. So I think the decks are clear for, for uh, takeoff for Jerry Judy tonight to be the leader in the clubhouse after week one in rookie wide receiver fantasy production. So look out for that. Look, I mean, it's, an, it's, a, it's a low bar. It's 11 points from LaVisca Chanel, unless I'm missing, um, I could be missing someone, but my, my quick uh, back-of-the-napkin math on rookie wide receiver production, hey, 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 Jerry Judy, Jerry Judy. It, it's setting up perfectly for Jerry Judy to be one of the best, if not the most productive rookie wide receivers this season. Takeaway number six, Late round tight end wins again. I mean, late round tight end wins again. TJ Hawkinson, 15 points. Now, the problem with TJ Hawkinson was the snap share was not what we wanted to see. I wanted a higher snap share from TJ Hawkinson. We didn't get it. And I am mildly concerned. I'm about as concerned with TJ Hawkinson's snap share as I am Christian McCaffrey's target share. So I'm not that concerned, right? But... He only played on 50 of 78 snaps. So the fact that TJ Hawkinson was on the sideline for 28 snaps 
and only received a 12% target share. Now, he was super efficient and scored a touchdown on those targets. But just looking at target share, I believe that his role will continue to grow as he comes out of these games healthy and establishes himself as a, a, a true stud at the position and that he can handle the full complement of snaps. So I think that you'll see this snap share incrementally rise for TJ Hawkinson as the year goes on, just like we're going to see weeks where Christian McCaffrey gets 10 targets. It's just an observation. I'm not trying to worry anyone. You enjoy, you drafted TJ Hawkinson everywhere like I did. We're enjoying the 15 fantasy points. And if you didn't get TJ Hawkinson, maybe you got a Dallas Goddard, who was a tight end fantasy points leader this week, or Logan Thomas with over 10 fantasy points, or OJ Howard with his 15 fantasy. And OJ Howard, six targets to Rob Gronkowski's three targets. And OJ Howard also played in the slaughter out wide on 14 of his 37 snaps compared to Gronk only once, right? So even though Rob Gronkowski outsnapped OJ Howard, OJ Howard was put in situations to score fantasy points and to run featured routes more than Rob Gronkowski. This, again, could be an anomaly, but I'm worried. I'm worried about Gronkowski getting out-targeted significantly by O.J. Howard, but at the same time, we were drafting more O.J. Howard than Rob Gronkowski, right? So remember the, the, the Tom Brady stacked with O.J. Howard, the, the, the backdoor Brady-O.J. Howard stack on underdog was a thing, right? It was a thing. So that's cool, right? That's cool. Late round tight end and underdog, it's all about O.J. Howard. And if you wanted to go tight end earlier, the, the two most stable Breakout candidates at tight end were TJ Hawkinson and Dallas Goddard. I mean, come on, man. Come on, right? So Dallas Goddard outproduced even Travis Kelsey and certainly George Kittle. Jimmy Garoppolo is struggling. Jimmy Garoppolo looked awful. So I have some news. I am playing some DFS this year and I'm watching some football. Can you believe it? I mean, it's happening. I finally feel comfortable doing it. Just because for so many years, toiling away in a cave, working on player profiler and, and didn't want to take a moment to enjoy the actual game, right? And, and when I wasn't watching uh, the website crash, right, and trying try to do whatever I could to, to maintain it and, and, and grow it um, and, and this whole enterprise, when I wasn't doing that, I was spending time with my wife and daughter, and so there, there really was no time. It, you know, Sunday was a respite for me to max out my family time. But you know, as more and more people at Roto Underworld are stepping up and taking on more and more responsibilities, it actually is freeing me up to play a little DFS and watch some football. And good news are 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 tournament lineups on both DraftKings and FanDuel this week on the DFS lineup genius, uh, pushed or, or, you know, slightly slight money makers, mo very moderate money makers, you know, hitting the pay line, but, you know, at, at best, maybe, you know, double ups, but not, not anything crazy, not anything significant this week. No big, no big hits, but we're going to keep playing them. We're going to keep playing them because my confidence level is so high. We've been at this for three years now developing all the, the the tricks of the trade in DFS. And I feel like now for the first time that I can see around corners in DFS. And I've never felt that way 
I've always felt in the back of my mind that I was still learning and that I had a ways to go. But I was happy to consume as much knowledge and information as I possibly could and just keep just try to keep getting better. It's all I could do in DFS for many years. Fighting with people, right? Draft cheat, draft Pete cheat. But this year, uh, a quiet confidence uh, came over me and just decided to start playing some lineups. So we'll, we'll keep reporting back how it's going. But so far, so good. Thumbs up. And watching some games, watching some red zone channels, some dabbling with some red zone channels. Saw some of the Cardinals 49ers game. Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, he was airmailing a bunch of passes. Some of them were complete. Like the play where George Kittle was hurt was a short pass that Jimmy Garoppolo should have just put on his hands and he airmailed it and Kittle had to use that you know 90th percentile burst, jump up and grab it, and then he was vulnerable to get kneecapped, and that's exactly what happened. And his knee went the wrong way. I saw it, man. I'm not playing Kittle in week two. No way. No way. Not based on what I saw. I saw either a knee strain, sprain, or hyperextension. One of those three things happened, and you just... Don't want to play that guy the following week. Let him prove that he's healthy. I'm happy to let Kittle prove he's healthy, but won't be playing him, especially in DFS. There are other options. There are almost always other options that you can play because you want to stay out of the middle. In cash games in particular, the thing that we've implemented aggressively in cash, and we will be even more this year than ever before, is staying out of the middle in cash, where you go all the way up or all the way down, right? So this past week, it was Christian McCaffrey. It was... Josh Jacobs, it was Dalvin Cook. Those were our cash smashes where we had the highest ownership on those three running backs and lineups where you could build a cash core around those running backs and then nickel and dime the rest, right? Maybe, oh, Teddy Bridgewater didn't work out. Well, that's fine. If you played the right running back core, you cashed anyway because you're going to get some some upside elsewhere. You're going to get some upside at value in cash, that's so why Paris Campbell was a guy you could use in cash. We talk about this over and over again. You can shoot for these inexpensive wide receivers that are going to get opportunities and they have explosive upside because they're ones that can deliver for you because you don't necessarily always just want the guy that's going to get the highest target share each week. Now, we, 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 we got lucky. Right, No one thought that Paris Campbell would lead all Colts in targets this week. No one thought that Jonathan Taylor would come in. Six targets! Oh, my God! Oh, man! Man! Jonathan Taylor's upside as a rusher and receiver now are just so high. I mean, you have to get him everywhere. You have to get him everywhere. You have to trade for him in every seasonal league. Godfather offers out for Jonathan Taylor in every format. you got to get him. And he's certainly going to be on our in our lineup genius, particular in tournaments, because the the running back core for this week coming up is so strong. I mean, it's so strong. The cash core that you could put together, whether it's Aaron Jones, Ezekiel Elliott. I mean, it's incredible what you can do this week on DraftKings. I'm excited. I mean, it, it, this might be the week to pivot off Christian McCaffrey, not because you're concerned about the target share, but because he's going on the road to Tampa, one of the best run defenses in the league. So if there was a week to pivot off Christian McCaffrey, this would be the week. If Marlon Mack is out, you could play Jonathan Taylor with confidence. You're going to play Derrick Henry. He always eats Jaguars. Like that's what he does. Derrick Henry every year just eats 
a full and steady diet of Jaguars, and they're at home against the Jaguars. I mean, you're going to want Derrick Henry. You're going to want Ezekiel Elliott at home against Atlanta, and you're going to want Aaron Jones at home against Detroit. So the cash core is going to come together very easily in cash this week, and there will be a strong case to pivot off Christian McCaffrey. I'm not, again, not really that worried about the target share. More worried about the matchup and just the other options. It's all about the slate. It's all about the strength of the running back options on the slate. And in week two, it's incredibly strong. And there were some cash lineups where we stayed or we strayed too far into the middle. I, oh, we got to get a cash lineup with McLaurin. Oh, we, we want to make sure we're getting... We would have been better off in, in most lineups you'll find when you're building your cash lineups. Most builds, you're better off... Moving down to Logan Thomas, moving down to Paris Campbell, and staying out of the middle at wide receiver. So we're gonna you'll you'll notice that as a trend. We're gonna constantly stay out of the middle in cash. And I think our, this principle will be applied even more extremely in week two than it was in week one, because in week one, we really wanted to play Devontae Adams, right? We wanted Devontae Adams, so then we had to make some compromises at running back, and then Boston Scott opened up, and it became very smooth and easy to do that. It didn't work out with Boston Scott, but because you used the downgrade to Scott, you moved down to Scott and used that money that you created in that in that swap to go up to Devontae Adams, it all worked out because Devontae Adams absolutely fucking smashed. So in cash, if you're smashing with guys like Lamar Jackson and at least two stud running backs and Devontae Adams, and you could even take zeros. The number two lineup on the Millie Maker on DraftKings this week, the number two finisher, took a zero in Robert Tanyan. We had some Robert Tanyan. Well, so did the number two finisher in the Millie Maker. Took a zero on Robert Tanyan. If you got anything right, if you get a five-yard catch from Robert Tanyan, because you also had Aaron Rodgers, he would have won a million dollars. It's like, what are you doing, Robert? Even a rookie tight end got a catch for Green Bay, right? But not Tanyan. Everyone but Tanyan. Tanyan was supposed to be the starters. I feel bad for that guy, but that process was good, especially in a cash game, right? Where we had Herndon, and, and we the, the case for Herndon was incredibly strong. He still commanded a significant snap share and target share, which is a difficult matchup, but the the case for Crowder and Herndon was strong, and they completely dominated the targets. Between Herndon and Crowder, they commanded 20 of the 33 targets. So if you were playing Herndon and Crowder, you were doing it right. You just didn't want to play them both because you don't want too much exposure to a team in the lowest total game. So it's all about measuring upside and also making sure you're capturing significant upside in cash. That's just not talked about enough. You get upside up and down. You go all the way up to get maximum upside, especially in your running backs, and you can go all the way down and still pick up some upside in a Logan Thomas, in a Paris Campbell, and even if you eat a zero on a Robert Tanyan, you still cash. Why? Because if you play Devontae Adams and Josh Jacobs, you cashed. Like, that's it. You can pretty much just randomly select players at that point, and you're going to cash. So that's really the goal is to find good players in situations that are going to command a massive opportunity share in games where there's going to be a lot of points scored, and especially like Devontae Adams was a value too. Devontae Adams wasn't even that expensive. So that was the beauty of it. You had all those forces coming together 
for Devontae Adams, and he wasn't even the most expensive wide receiver on the slate. So that that's why I think many of you were surprised by how much Devontae Adams you saw because we rarely play expensive receivers in cash, and, and you don't normally see that much of a wide receiver played even naked because we have a lot of lineups. Aaron Rodgers was actually our lineup 11 and 12, and so I'm I'm bummed that we didn't have any Aaron Rodgers in a top 10. Uh, we, had, we had Matt Ryan and Russell Wilson and Lamar Jackson. I mean, uh, Mitchell Trubisky, Gardner Minshew. So we had a, a bunch of three-touchdown quarterbacks and quarterbacks that completely smashed just didn't quite find a way to to get Aaron Rodgers in there. But I also think that th- these are areas where we can get better. Every single week, we make adjustments to our lineup optimization engine that powers the DFS lineup genius. And if we're going to play that much Devontae Adams everywhere, then the computer needs to be convinced to play Aaron Rodgers and at least a handful of GPP lineups, even if the computer doesn't believe that Aaron Rodgers has the requisite upside. Sometimes human beings need to intervene, and we generally like to see just how the computer does in week one, and then we'll tweak knobs and intervene a bit more in the weeks ahead. But the fact that we pushed or came out slightly ahead in week one with very little intervention whatsoever and and, and no knob turning whatsoever was incredibly encouraging. And the reason why years and years can go by and you're still not yet optimized with the programming that powers these algorithms and these systems is that, you know, upside is very difficult to calculate. And that is my number eight observation. Observation number eight, calculating upside is difficult. Now you're looking for games with good quarterbacks and bad defenses and high totals. And everyone saw this coming in Atlanta, right? Seattle, Atlanta was chalk and everyone saw it coming. The case for Devontae Adams was, well, we know that he's efficient. He's going to command a massive target share just based on the personnel. The secondary for the Vikings is weak, so they're a pass funnel defense. And the upside is if Aaron Rodgers is good and the game shoots out, that's the upside. That's the upside we were playing for and we got it. It's just that if we're going to have that much Adams, the computer needs to be overridden on whatever its assumptions about Aaron Rodgers are and make sure it jams Aaron Rodgers into a couple GPP lineups. And so you won't see that happen again where a premium receiver is played naked so often with very little of the quarterback. You're just not going to see that again. That'll that will be fixed. And or I wouldn't even call it a fix considering we had him. We just didn't have him in the top 10. We had Aaron Rodgers at 11 and 12. Didn't quite meet the threshold for top 10 lineups. Like, oh, play 20 lineups, play 30 lineups. Hey, listen, we're playing 10, right? This is how it goes. But that doesn't mean we can't tweak the knobs and make sure that an Aaron Rodgers lineup gets ranked 6 instead of 11 in line in future weeks because it's difficult. It's difficult to, to, to capture upside. And you got to be careful not to chase touchdowns either, right? So you look at this past week, interesting observation. You look at a dud in Gurley versus a smash in Josh Jacobs. And and what was the difference? Similar skill sets. Neither one of these running backs are particularly explosive any longer, but they have great instincts, right? And so you have similar skill sets, similar team production. So you had similar point totals for the respective teams, 
Similar snap shares, both went over an 80% snap share. Both, I think we're hovering around an 82% snap share. So the only difference between Jacobs and Gurley this past week was game script and luck, right? It just so happened that the Falcons were down and couldn't run the ball and at home. So the Falcons were down at home and couldn't run the ball where the opposite was true with Carolina, Las Vegas, where the road team, the Raiders, got out to the big lead. And they were sitting on, there you have it, Josh Jacobs. That's the difference. That's how Josh Jacobs gets to 25 carries, where Todd Gurley's hovering around 15 carries. That's the difference. The difference between 15 and 25 carries is oftentimes game script. And a big open question I have this week is, how much did game script prevent Mark Ingram from producing? Because the pleasant surprise of the week was the usage for J.K. Dobbins, because I am happy to be wrong. I am. Ha I've never been happier to be wrong. Wrong alert, right? Wrong alert. We'll do a different alert for this. A different. A wrong alert is. This will be. A, maybe this will be a wrong alert. Yeah. Here we go. Yeah. Right. Right. Wrong alert. Wrong alert. I was wrong, man. I thought that DeAndre Swift and uh, Cam Akers would have a better chance of seeing the field and having significant roles, primary back roles for their respective offenses much sooner than J.K. Dobbins because I believe that the team, the Ravens viewed Mark Ingram as a team leader and a pillar of the offense and is not a guy that just would be relegated in week one and that you'd have to struggle holding on to J.K. Dobbins. You need to have conviction to hold on to him because he'd be an absolute monster if given a starting role, but need to be patient with J.K. Dobbins. It probably will happen sooner for Swift, sooner for Akers, and I was wrong. I mean, I was so wrong about that. I mean, just look at the snap shares. Malcolm Brown, 82% snap share. <laughs> I mean, look at the carry percentages, the carry rates for Detroit. Peterson dwarfed DeAndre Swift. So, hey, I was wrong. Never been so happy to be wrong. Never been so happy. Observation number nine. Observation number nine is... Uh, Again, I, 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 this one I don't feel nervous about speaking out loud. I, I just, I'm just disappointed. I'm disappointed that Christian Kirk and Tyler Boyd are trending in the wrong direction. And it's a similar reason why there's concerns about Joe Mixon and concerns about Austin Eckler. Now, the concerns about Eckler are, are much more significant than the concerns around Mixon. And, you should be concerned about Christian Kirk and you should be concerned about Tyler Boyd because Christian Kirk is, is getting target squeezed. It's an absolute target squeeze in Arizona where you have DeAndre Hopkins operating outside, dominating the outside targets. You have Fitzgerald dominating all the slot targets, all the inside targets. And where does that leave Christian Kirk? He's in target purgatory. And I'm worried that that might also happen to Tyler Boyd. It's a problem. It's a real problem when you have new personnel added to the offense. Now, with Keenan Allen, I'm worried about Tyrod Taylor. With Christian Kirk, I'm worried about the addition of DeAndre Hopkins. With Tyler Boyd, I'm worried about Joe Burrow. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm hopeful that because it's the wide receiver position and the wide receiver position oscillates wildly week to week, production is up and down. If, unless you're like a Devontae Adams or Julio Jones getting the massive target share with great efficiency, right? You're a secondary option. You're susceptible to the whims of the offensive coordinator and the defense and the quarterback. 
I hope that's all it is. I hope it was a one-week anomaly, Kirk and Boyd underproducing. But man, man, you hate to see it. You hate to see it. And it's a con- when the, there's a new quarterback or your team trades for DeAndre Hopkins, there will be consequences. You can't assume it's just going to be the same offense as it was last year. The personnel is different. And with Keenan Allen in particular, Keenan Allen, Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler, I mean, warning alert, this Tyrod Taylor. It's not going to get any better if they go to Herbert, just so you know. Just so you know, it's not going to get better if they go to Herbert. It's a concern. Quarterback play matters. That's another observation. And you need to be concerned about Odell Beckham. I I didn't want to say it. it. It pains me to say it. But it looks like Gardner Minshew is what we wanted Baker Mayfield to be. Like Gardner Minshew is this swaggering character. He's the one that's actually rocking the handlebar mustache and doing it well. Like everything he does, he does better than Baker Mayfield. They're the same size. They're undersized. They're 6'1". They were mega producers at the college level and spread attacks. But Gardner Minshew actually outproduced Baker Mayfield. Gardner Minshew, 70% completion percentage, over 4,700 yards at Washington State. Baker Mayfield, he got to 4,600 yards. So he's actually outproduced by... Gardner Minshew in their respective final seasons. And it was interesting in that if you go back to 2017, the Browns were encouraged to wait a year, right? To just draft Miles Garrett, not Patrick Mahomes, not Deshaun Watson, but just draft Miles Garrett and wait, right? Because this 2018 quarterback class is just a laser show, right? It's Josh Rosen, it's Baker Mayfield, it's Sam Darnold. <laughs> oh, no, right? And what happens? Lamar Jackson, the best quarterback in the class, falls to the final pick in the first round. And Gardner Minshew fell to day three. So it's the ultimate, the ultimate, the, I mean, just it's it's disheartening because I have been bullish on Baker Mayfield and, and like Baker Mayfield as a player and specifically love him as a prospect. So to see a player with that kind of prospect profile fail is shocking to me. Like, it's, it's, shock, it's shocking. It's just shocking. And Baltimore is a suffocating defense, right? You can't hold week one against Nick Chubb and Odell Beckham and Baker Mayfield like you would hold week one against Tyrod Taylor and Austin Eckler and Keenan Allen. They're two fucking different things, man. The Bengals are not the Ravens, and the Ravens are not the Bengals. It's different. I'm maximum concerned for Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler, but I am mildly concerned for Odell Beckham. Fuck it, not mildly. I'm fully and completely concerned, just not extremely concerned about Odell. About Odell, I, I, I just, I just, I, I'm just, I'm, I, I, I've lost my ability to speak. I can't believe it's happening again. That Odell Beckham would be one of the league leaders in air yards and then finish near league bottom in catch rate. That he would be one of the least efficient receivers again getting 10 targets again, getting the air yards again, and then delivering three catches for 22 yards. And that's not all on Beckham. That's mostly now you have to look at the stats and look at the advanced metrics on Baker Mayfield for now more than a year. It's on Mayfield. Now, in fairness, the last 17 games the Baker Mayfield and the Browns have played have been by far and away the most difficult schedule you could ever draw up. And to open this season against the Ravens was just a slap in the face. 
And, and that's why I'm wearing my Andre Risen jersey because maybe maybe they need Andre Risen. Maybe they need something, man. Maybe Andre Risen should come out of retirement. My Andre Risen Browns jersey. Th- this is this is it. 38-6, they lose. Every single player dudded out with the exception of David Njoku. Late round tight end David Njoku because, of course, late round tight end wins it all every time. But Baker Mayfield, 189 yards and 4.8 yards per attempt when they're down 38-6. So you have the entire fourth quarter of garbage time and you can give us nothing in garbage time. Nothing. Nothing. I mean, this is the ultimate rebuke of the draft capital argument, right? The offloading of analysis, prospect profiles onto NFL teams and say, wherever NFL teams want to draft these guys is what they're worth. It's, 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 a, it's a perfect market. So just, just look at the draft capital. That's all you need. You don't need any other predictive measurements. You don't need a breakout finder that's going to surface CeeDee Lamb and LaVisca Chenault, even though they weren't you know, the top two receivers drafted that year. Never mind that. You don't need anything. You don't need all your, your modeling and your data. Just look at the draft pick. Where were they drafted? Baker Mayfield won overall, and Gardner Minshew was drafted very late. I don't know. I don't, I I just I I don't know. I I wish I had a stronger take on this. I just don't. And I hope that Gardner Minshew continues to perform at a high level. I think he will. I think that a player that is that productive and efficient at the college level, I think it makes sense that he would carry it over in the NFL. Why Baker Mayfield isn't carrying it over is partly because the schedule has been fucking impossible, but also maybe that he's not actually that good. And that's heartbreaking for me to say, but it's it's on the table now. We're now into the second year where you look up and Baker Mayfield is giving you nothing. And he's a hindrance on Odell Beckham. We're now into year two of this problem. And I hope that the next time I sit in front of this microphone for my weekly tits show, that the observation is, oh, we're back, we're back. Baker's actually good. Thank God. I can bust out the harmonica. Right? That's what we want. But I, we got to see it, man. I got at this point. I got to see it. Please show it to me. I'm worried. Ah, but Gardner Minshew. A Gardner Minshew playing the role that Baker Mayfield seemed destined to play is just great. It's just great. He's the real Baker Mayfield. I mean, it's just I just feel like he's gonna pull off. I feel like he's gonna pull off a plastic you know, rubber mask from the movies and just under it's gonna actually be Baker Mayfield underneath. That you would expect that at this point. He's that he is that guy we wanted. And Karrion Johnson, for my tenth and final observation, is not that guy. I observed Karrion Johnson doing nothing and being nothing in week one and i don't expect that to change Uh, seven carries for 14 yards so he was less efficient than deandre swift and adrian peterson and zero targets zero targets so just to just so that we're keeping track i want to be scoring this carrying johnson 1.4 fantasy points rotoviz because i went on the road of his program i went on the road of his radio show and i told dave cabin i told matthew friedman Rotoviz needs to apologize for touting Karrion Johnson. That this idea that you can just pound receivers into infinity because you know you can get Karrion Johnson later. I mean, come on, man. He's not a bridge back. He's a nothing back. And you can say, oh, well, you know, Adrian Peterson screwed it up. No, he didn't. No, 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 no. Karrion Johnson 
was never going to happen. And the addition of Adrian Peterson was or should have been expected. That That's the problem. See, when Karrion Johnson is usurped by Adrian Peterson in week one, I'm not surprised at all. Rotoviz was surprised. I wasn't surprised. Right. I mean, I'm sure if you were touting Karrion Johnson, you must have been shocked, shocked that Detroit would say that he's not the answer before week one, that they would confirm what I was saying, that he's not the answer. Like, that's all that did. All the signing of Adrian Peterson did was confirm what I was saying, what I've been saying and lamenting all offseason, that Karrion Johnson's not the answer. And if you're touting him, you're doing it wrong. And now we're seeing on Twitter. He wrote of his excuse machine, fired up, cranking. Good. Keep, we'll see. We're just going to keep tracking, right? We're going to keep tracking every week on this program. Will one of my uh, top 10 will be a Karrion Johnson tracker? I mean, maybe it'll be a bonus. We I can't, we don't want to waste one, right? We have, we have 10 precious observations, but I mean, I have to, I have to say, right? I mean, I was very happy about Paris Campbell, very happy about Jonathan Taylor, very happy about TJ Hawkinson. I was very happy this week. Very, very happy. Just across. Russ cooked. Russell Wilson cooked. I mean, that's an observation that was underreported by me. How did I miss that one? Russell Wilson cooked. That's amazing. They let Russ cook. That should have let off the show. But I I take some solace and, and, and some comfort. And knowing I was as right as right, as right as rain, as right as you could possibly be about Kerryon Johnson. And we will continue to track his fantasy point production every week. And every week that he underperforms, we will demand an apology from Rotoviz. Ten takeaways is not enough. We need 12. I jammed in the critical observation that the Seahawks are finally letting Russ cook and he is realizing his upside. The reason why we were drafting Russell Wilson over Kyler Murray is apparent. He's a guy that can go out and meet or exceed the fantasy production of Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes this year. The upside with Russell Wilson is real and the upside with Cam Newton is real. So observation 11, they let Russ cook. Observation 12, they let Cam run. Oh, they let Cam run. This is such a big deal. This is exactly the offense that Josh McDaniels constructed for Tim Tebow in Denver. Seven design runs, six tactical scrambles, only one broken play rush attempt, and one kneel down. That's how Cam Newton got to 15 rush attempts. It's amazing. It's amazing, right? It's why we told you to draft Cam Newton. You either drafted Cam Newton with Teddy Bridgewater or Cam Newton with Jimmy Garoppolo. If you were going quarterback late, you're welcome.